0: I love you guys. The Lord has increased my love for you. And not just you, but for the church in the past two weeks. A lot of you guys are like, Andy, you don't even remember my name. And I forget your name regularly. And it doesn't matter. I was a young man I knew. And I did not know his name and the very instant I saw him, I loved him with my whole heart. It was my son, when he was born. I'd never met him. But because of who he was, my son, I loved that fella, that little baby, that I said, your name is Jude, or Jack and Rhett. You have no idea Maybe you do. How you can never, ever meet a person and then you see your baby being born and you love them with all your heart. Now, what does that have to do with me loving you, especially if I don't know you that well? It's not because of how well I know you, it's because of who you are. If you're a Christian, if you're a believer, man, I love you. I have a profound love for you. And if you hate me, well, I'm told to love you too. The Lord said, Andy, love your enemies. So I love you either way. Do you feel that way for each other? For other believers? Are you like, man, I really love these people? You know, I hope this evening, one of my prayers this evening is that as we look at who Christ is and what he's doing today, and today is the fruit, that you will look at one another and you'll be like, huh, that your heart would be opened, your eyes would be opened, that you would increase in your love for Christ and that you would increase in your love for one another. I want to ask you a question I've been... Um, trying to ask more people lately how's ministry? how's ministry, Joel? how's ministry, Nathan? I've asked a couple people this lately and it kind of takes you back you're like, what do you you mean, Andy? you and Tanner do ministry I'm kind of in the middle of uh, classes right now no, it's not true you're called to do ministry too. Just like us. You're just in a different place. Um, I love, I stinking love doing ministry. I love doing God's work. The Lord has inclined my heart to do the work of the Lord ever since I was very young. Um... And I think, I know, especially when I was young, I was very ineffective. I worked very hard at doing things. And you ever hear the, the saying, don't work harder, work smarter? I think as Christians, we do that a lot. We work really hard at things. But we overlook the smartness of obeying Scripture. And that is why we feel like independent soldiers... In the work field, that's like we feel, like we keep, we try so hard to serve, because we, I mean, I know that some of you really want to serve the Lord in the context that you're placed in, and so many times you're discouraged, and you think, maybe I just need to work harder. I don't think that's the right answer always. Maybe some of you do. Maybe you need to start working, period. But I think a lot of times for believers, we just need to open up the word and see what it says. We need to obey it. Um, in my ignorance and arrogance, um, especially like up till even into almost into 30, like I had this idea that what I was doing in ministry, and I love I love people, I love working with people, but I had this idea that what I was doing was more exciting and more effective than what the church was doing. I was telling Caleb today, I would skip, I've skipped um, maybe over a month of Sundays because I was washing dishes at camp, and I wouldn't go to church because I was doing the Lord's work. And I justified that, and it was wrong, and it was, um, it was rebellious, and it was ignorant, and it was arrogant, because I just thought that what the church was doing was so stinking boring, and that it just, nothing's happening. Look at what I'm doing. I mean, I'm out here washing dishes, serving these people, meeting needs, and I'd get frustrated in ministry because like, I didn't see things happen or whatever. So we think in our humanness, maybe I should just work harder as if that'll earn me something. You try that with salvation. And your hard workings, your righteousness, you know what it equals? Filthy rags. Nothing. Let's see what Scripture says. Um, I'd like to... I'd like you to think, we're going to be looking, we're going to be bouncing back. Our main passage this evening we're going to look at this evening is Matthew 28. We're going to look at Matthew 28. 28 at the end, and um, a lot of you know what it, it's called, the Great Commission. The Great Commission that Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, like we talked about last week, Jesus ascended into heaven, he had a physical body could touch it you could shake his hand he said thomas feel my side give me something to eat it's a physical body it was resurrected he was no longer dead god through the spirit raised him from the dead and we looked at the importance of that because that's what will happen to the believer he will have a resurrected and then he had a glorified body where is christ now You see, if God has a resurrected, physical, glorified body, he is someplace right now. He's not just an idea that we all hold endearment, like a good story. Where is he? He's in heaven at the right hand of the Father. That's where he is. That's what we looked at last week. This week, we're going to look at what's the fruit of that? Like, How does that impact you? And right before he left and he ascended into heaven, he called his 11 disciples together. And he said to them, go into all the world. No, let's read it together. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am so excited about teaching you this passage. Like, you have no idea. When I woke up this morning, before I got out of bed, I was already teaching you this passage. Like it was going, I was like, I was going through my notes in my mind as I got out of bed. Like I was just pumped to share the word of God. I love, I love doing the Lord's work. I love being here with you guys. But you know, if we don't obey, if you just listen to these these words, and you don't obey them, that they mean nothing. They're meaningless. And my prayer for you this evening is that this just wouldn't be another Friday night devotional sing hang out with some believers, and then you go home not changed. Man, I would pray that the Lord would change your heart and convert, reconvert your heart like he's converted mine again and again and again. Um, the first thing Jesus says in this passage that strikes me is he says this, All authority, all authority is mine. I'd like you to think about Jesus through the Gospels, and consider how the position that he put himself in. He calls himself a vine. He calls himself a seed that must die so that many grain can grow from it. He calls himself a, um, a cornerstone, the most important piece of the building that the whole building is brought out of. He calls himself a husband. He calls himself a shepherd. In Luke 19... He's telling a parable, and in the parable, what he says is he goes, there was a king, and the king, he bought a city. Pretty much he bought a city, and he inherited it somehow, and um, what he did is he sent ten servants to that city, and he gave each one of them money. And he said, what I want you to do, this is my city. I'm placing you in it until I come. And when I come, I'm going to take command of this city. It's already mine. It's bought and paid for. I want you guys to come. And the words are, occupy until I come. Very literally, go do business. Go do some work. Do work, son. Go to the city. Do work. You get the idea? And all of the, city, all of the servants acted differently. Now, the city that they went to, the people of that city said, we will not have this king over us. And they sent word back to the king and they said, we're not going to have you over us. But, G- but I just gave it away. The king, he, had still, he still owns the city and he still sent his servants in to do business. But they wrestled with fear. One and it doesn't say this in the passage, but I'll bet you they wrestled in fear because they, there's only 10 of them, and this is in Luke 19, if you want to read it, 1913. They wrestled in fear because the people they lived amongst, they hated them. Because they, they represented the king that, was now in, that said he was in charge, but they didn't want him there. But the second reason they wrestled is because they knew, and I'll read this... Um, Let me just read it to you. Luke 19. And he said to them um, in verse 15, And it was so that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded his servants to whom he had given money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained. You need to give an account. I gave you money. I gave you something. You need to give an account of what I've given you. Um, They came to the first, saying, Master, your money, your mina, has earned ten. He said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in very little, I've given you authority over ten of the cities in this kingdom. And he goes on, and there's some who give less, and there's some who give less, and there's one that gives one. (laughs) He doesn't give one, he returns it back to the Lord. Master, here is your one mina, which I have kept and put away in a handkerchief I've hidden, for I feared you, because you are in... My version says austere. What do your versions say? Does anybody have a different version they could read? You're a hard man, and I feared you. You collect what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow, and he said to him, out of your own mouth I will judge you, you wicked servant. And then at the end, he judges all of his own servants. And then at the end, he says to them, now bring forth those who did not want me to be their king and slay them before me. Sheesh. The servants? No. He judges the servants according to what they did. But the the, the wicked ones who said, I will not obey you, I do not want you as my king, Jesus says, bring them before me. You see, Jesus is that king. The servants are his followers. The money is what he has given his servants to do. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you things. I want to see you make a return on what I'm giving you. The wicked ones are the ones who says, I do not want Jesus over me. And in Matthew 28, the king makes the command. Who is the king? The king is Jesus. And he says to his disciples, I have all authority. All authority is mine. In heaven and on earth. What does it mean to have all authority? I'll give you an illustration. Joseph, in Genesis, you remember him. He is, um, okay, he grows up in a home. His brothers hate him. He gets thrown into a, a pit. His brothers sell him to traitors. The traitors sell him to Potiphar. Potiphar's wife lies. He ends up in prison falsely. And here we are with Joseph. He's in prison at a very low point in life. And two men come to him and they say, I had a dream. And um, <laughs> one of them said, uh, I don't remember the dreams right now. It's not important. Joseph, God gives Joseph the, um, the interpretation to the dream And they come true, to one man's benefit, to the other man's death. To the one man's benefit, he goes to Pharaoh at that time in Egypt, and he's serving Pharaoh. And lo and behold, Pharaoh has a dream, and he is very troubled by this dream. And his servant, who was in prison with Joseph, says, I know a man who God gives the interpretations to dreams. And Pharaoh says, go get him. So they go the whole way back to this dungeon And they clean Joseph up, I imagine They put new clothes on him And they scrub him And they they make him smell as You smell really good tonight I was sitting beside you And I was like, whoa I never smell like this They make him smell like Tom Don't he smell good, Taylor? Oh, I know I'm going to teach you over here So he cleans him up He sends him to Potiphar Potiphar, he sends him to Pharaoh. Pharaoh tells him, Here's my dream. Joseph says, I don't tell dreams, but my God does. God gives him the interpretation to the dream. He says, There's going to be a famine in the land. You need to prepare. You got seven years of good, you're having seven years of bad coming soon. Prepare. And Pharaoh believes Joseph, he believes God. And he says, wow, thank you, Joseph. I'm going to let you out of prison. Nope. He says, thank you, Joseph. I'm going to make you very wealthy. Nope. Thank you, Joseph, for interpreting my dream. I'm going to give you a beautiful wife. Nope. This is what he says. Because of what Joseph has said, we're going to go with his plan. In fact, I'm going to take my ring, which stands for my power, off of my finger, and I'm going to put it on Joseph's finger, and Joseph is going to sit at my right hand. And CNN shows up, and NBC shows up, and they go to Pharaoh, and they go, okay, we hear you have a great plan. What is it? And Pharaoh says, talk to Joseph. Yeah, but we're going to have have this famine in the land, we hear, What's your plan? He says, my plan is to talk to Joseph. What he says goes. And when you wear the Pharaoh's ring and you give it the seal, it's as if Pharaoh has given it the seal. And if you wear that ring and you do not give it, you don't got it. If you want grain, you had to go to Joseph. If you didn't go to Joseph, you don't have grain that's authority and that is i think the perfect illustration of what god was teaching us when he said all authority has been given to me you let me let me read something to you john 3:35 the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. What does authority over all things mean? Right here it says all things pertaining to life and death, Jesus has authority over on heaven and on earth. If you want grain, you've got to go to Joseph. You want life, you've got to go to Jesus. He holds all authority. You don't go to Joseph, you don't get no grain. You don't go to Jesus, you don't get life. But the wrath of God abides on you. Man, that's authority. What else does it mean? He is the Im- uh, Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The right of the firstborn is like the right-hand position. If you're the firstborn son, you get the name of the father, you get his inheritance, you get all his things, and you get to pass them out. And Jesus says, I am the firstborn. I have that authority. Colossians 1.16, and notice, it's over all creation, not just people, but every created thing. Jesus Is firstborn over. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, that are visible, that are invisible. We're going to cover it all here. Whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. You see, not only does God give him the power and the authority because he has his word, But as we read here in um, Colossians, how did God create the, the worlds in Genesis? How did God create all that? He did it through his son. Like God created through Jesus. Christ has the right of the authority because of his position and because he is the creator. All things created have a right or are, are, are in submission to their creator. That's Jesus. He has all authority. Did you hear what it said? Thrones, visible, indivisible, earth, heaven, dominions, principalities, powers. Let me read to you Colossians 1, 17 and 18. And he, that is Christ, is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence, the very first place. You see, the church. You know what the church is? The church is the example to the world that Jesus Christ is first. Because he has authority, we recognize that. Because he is our creator, the church recognizes that. And what Jesus says, we do. He's the king. Do you think about him like that? Like, he is the king with authority. In that parable, Jesus is the king. It's his kingdom. He bought and paid for it with his own life created it. It's his. He's the king. Hebrews 2, eight. if you're still wondering what all authority means, says, um, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. What does all mean? You want to hear a really good Bible study tip? Read the words. Read them. And obey them. All means all. I sound like a parent. All peoples, all places, all tribes, all dominions, all religions. All times everywhere. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth And, you know, this is why the world totally rejects. Just like that kingdom says we will not have him over us because Jesus does not share his throne. Why should he? He paid for it with his very own blood. Why should he share it? You know what I'm saying? And the world says no. We would not have this king over us. A king who doesn't let me share the throne or he doesn't let my hobbies share the throne or he doesn't let my desires share the throne or this or that. And Jesus says, listen, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. I have all authority. And the church says, yeah, that's right. And the world says, no way. So what's the fruit in a Christian's life, what should be the fruit in your life? If Jesus has all authority, that should give you great confidence. That should give you great confidence to be bold. Don't shrink back in fear. Don't be afraid of, oh, but this argument or that person, or do you know do you know how important they are? Or, do you know how popular they are? Or, do you know what that forget about that your king has all authority and he's commissioned you you go I should also give you great humility because he's your king I should give you, you a Christian should be a person who submits he does not she does not have a stiff neck because they're submitted to their king They do as they're told. They should follow Jesus. When Jesus says it, you do it. But I wanted to do this. You gave that up. And besides, do you really think you're independent? You're not. You see, people who do not know Christ, you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. You're not independent. You don't just do what you want to do. You're a slave of one or the other. You're not independent of any. It's just a matter of what are you dependent upon. That's a good question to ask yourself. This is the testimony of Paul. A bondservant of Jesus. This is the testimony of James. Read it. Verse 1 A bondservant of Jesus. Of Peter, a bondservant of Jesus. Of Jude, a bondservant of Jesus. Of John, a bondservant of Jesus. That's what I want my testimony to be. I am bought and paid for, and I am a bondservant of Jesus. And he is a good master. He is a good master. He takes care of me. My sins are forgiven. I am no longer a slave of something that wants to kill me, that wants to ruin me, of death. Jesus says, who the Son has set free as what is free indeed. That's a good master. Every part. Now, with that parable of the nobleman, Jesus gave, we're going to be looking at three things this evening, a king, a command, and a companion. We looked at the king who has all authority. The second thing is the king does what he should do. He gives a command. In the parable, this is the command, occupy till I come. Do work, son, right? That's what it is. Do work. What you're doing, be profitable and show me an increase. And the king said to his servants, I'm going to give you each a little bit, and I want to see, some, I want to see an increase with what I've given you. What is that in the great commission? I've given you all, I have all authority over heaven and earth. Go make disciples. That is your commission that your king has told you. That is your job. That is your responsibility. That is your opportunity, is to make disciples. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. What right does Jesus have to tell you anything? Like, I mean, I like, you read, he's and he's a nice fellow in the Gospels, and he does good things, but what right really does Jesus have to tell me what to do. One, he's been given the authority by his father, two, he's the creator. That means he can make the command. And the command is for you to go make disciples. How are you doing with that? Are you obeying? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Me and a fellow, were just thinking about this today. It says, what do you have that you have not received? Nothing. You really think you picked the family that you were born in? No, it was given to you. You really think that you have the abilities that you have because you earned them? No, they were given to you. I like to, no, I don't like running. I don't like running. But I think in high school I was pretty fast, sprinter. But I could run as fast, as hard as I wanted, and I would never, and I can work as hard as I want, I would never be as fast as Hussein Bolt. He could sit in the couch, eat chips for a year, and beat me. You know why? It's not because he's earned it. It's because he's been given it. I haven't been given it. Do you think that you, some of you have good grades because you work hard? Who gave you that mind? Did you buy it? No. It was given to you. Just like in the parable where the king, he gives his servants one mina and he says, make an increase. The Lord has given you so many things. He's given and he's given and he's given and he says, you use them for me. You know why? My country, my things. You're my servants, and I love you. And I've given you these wonderful things, and they're not for you. You may enjoy them, but you bring me glory through them. So here's my question for you. What has the Lord given you? What's he given you? Think about the things that you enjoy. Think about the places that you are what do you have that you haven't been given? Nothing. I want to look at two things here that Jesus is currently doing, and I am I am biding my time, and I am excited about where we're going with tonight. So I'm being patient with my notes. First, uh, John fourteen two says this: In my Father's house. Are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. What is Jesus doing right now? Jesus is, I'm not even sure what this means. But he's preparing a place for us. Somehow, in heaven, there's work to be done that Jesus is doing. Do you know what that means? What's the fruit in your life? You should be waiting patiently, waiting patiently and expectantly for his return when he finishes whatever that is. When, when, I, when I say this, what, what I'm about to tell you, I'm, gonna, I, I'm a little bit um, hesitant because at one time I thought this was a really good thing, and now I'm like, that's kind of stupid. Um, what, me and Jen lived on a farm, and I would go and I'd sit in a hill. And I would look up, and I would say, and I would, this is all by myself, and I would think, how cool would it be if Jesus returned, and I was sitting here, like a, like a little boy waiting for his dad to return to the lane, and I'm like, <laughs> and I would wait for Jesus. I would just sit there, and I'm like, here Andy is, waiting for his Lord. And that's when I realized, today really, that I'm that one servant <laughs> I'm that one servant that Jesus said, what have you done, Andy? I was just sitting here waiting for you, Lord. (laughs) Andy, you're sitting on your hands. I told you to do work, son. And you're just sitting here waiting for me. What are you talking about? How many of you are doing that, not on a hill, but you're just doing your thing? And you're excited about the Lord's return, but you're doing your thing. Jesus says, you, you're, that's a wicked thing that you're doing. You're my servant, and that's wicked. Because I expected, I'm the king who gave the command, and you're just sitting here. Yes, you're to work patiently. You're to wait patiently. But you should be working. You should be occupying. What is Jesus doing? He said to the disciples in um, uh, Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. You know what you should be doing? You pick up a hammer. You get to work. Join in the work. Love the work of Jesus. He's building his church. And you're waiting. Don't you just get so annoyed with the guy that you're working and he's sitting? And you're like, you're all sweating and working and hammering. He's just. Doing his own thing, man. That's how. So many Christians. There are those who are pulling their load, and they are engaged in the work of Jesus, and they're concerned about. I don't know. What are you concerned about? That's what you're, they're concerned about. Just, they're not. They're not. They're not working. And they're like that one servant that Jesus gave things, and they have nothing to show for it. Nothing that matters. Um, so what should you do? Occupy, Luke nineteen thirteen says. Occupy. What does that look like? Should you go to seminary? Maybe you should take a whole new course and just go to seminary. Maybe you should, but probably not. Maybe you should, um, pack up your bags this Christmas, drop out of school, and go to Uganda. Just become missionaries. Maybe you should. Probably not. Here's my question for you. Where's the Lord put you? You see, that command, go, literally means as you go. What'd you do today, Nathan? Homework. As you go. Maybe you should be around some more people. <laughs> Scott Taylor, what'd you do today? Oh. Don't tell me homework. Well, I didn't actually do homework class. Yeah, you were in class. As you go, what'd you do today, John? As you go, Emily, what'd you do today? As you go, Jesus says. You see, that command means this. What you're doing, as you go, it's a, it's, and it's an imperative, it's a command, but as you go to life, and where does it end? It's as you go till you're done, till you're dead, till it's over. Go make disciples. Where's the Lord put you? Sarah, she had a crazy day, 36 patients. As you go, Sarah, you've been given a command. You don't have to go to Uganda. Maybe, maybe you should. But the question is, where are you? And are you being obedient where you are? You'd be so surprised if you are faithful in the little things of today, how the Lord will totally guide your life you have nothing to worry about don't worry about graduating the lord will lead you just be faithful today as you go what should we do make disciples does that mean hang out here at cross life no it doesn't this is fellowship fellowship is important very important but making disciples jesus didn't mean john i want you to hang out with andrew Peter, I want you to hang out with Bartholomew, and I want you guys to get together, and I want you to drink coffee, memorize scripture. It's not what he meant. He meant, I want you guys to go tell other people who don't know about me, and teach them to obey and observe all things I've commanded you. As you go, are you being obedient to what you're commissioned to do? And I'm so excited to get into this last portion here. Matthew 28. Let's just, let's just rehash for fun. The scripture like, is like an old friend. All authority. What? Yeah, the king has given a command and he has all authority. Where? Over heaven and on earth. So what's the king do? He gives you a command. What's the command? Go. As you go, whatever you do, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That's the command. And lo, I don't even know what lo means, but it's here. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you Tanner, I know you know. Rick, what's meta mean? With or after. Yeah. Meta, the word with, clap, clap, means <laughs> with, after, and it can mean against. And Jesus says, I am with, after, and against you. Always. And I get some problems with this verse because, last, because of what we studied last week. We have a contradiction (laughs) because Jesus is a physical person who has a glorified, resurrected body. Where is he at? He's at the right hand of the Father. And he just said, I am with you always. How is that possible? Do you see Jesus right now? Is he sitting in a room? See, this is the things that we tell each other. Oh, Jesus will be with you. We say these things. And they've become cliche. And I'm hoping we can give it some meaning here. Because he did not tell any lies. He did not contradict himself. It's just that sometimes we say things so many times we don't get it anymore. Jesus, God, has always been present with his people. Think of the whole of scripture and we'll start with Adam. God walked with Adam. Remember that? Who's next? Abraham. You look at 12, 14. God comes and the word comes to Abraham and he says, go, get out of this country. And he spoke to Abraham. And you got Moses. How did God dwell with Moses? Well, he spoke to him with the burning bush. You have the pillar of cloud by day and the Column of fire by night, and God is with his people. And then you have the tabernacle, and you have the Holy of Holies, and God's presence is, presence is with his people. Unlike all of the other nations, God is with his people. Then you have the prophets, and God speaks through his prophets, and he's with his people. And then, you have... Uh, John 1. And the most amazing thing happened. God, the Word, the invisible God, who no man has ever seen, and the Word became flesh. He put off all that glory. And he dwelt among. And you. It's gonna be rough. And in Matthew one, it says, "This is my scooter suit, by the way. That's how I get around in the winter time." Get Matthew one says, "And his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us," and Jesus all of a sudden we see God walking around the New Testament in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And he does things. He heals people. He he befriends sinners. He feeds many people. And he does it for one purpose, to glorify God and to point them to what he is going to do. And they say, we want you as king, Jesus. And they say, Jesus says, you don't get it. I didn't come to be king and conquer the Romans. I came to kill this sin by laying my life down as a sacrifice and God dies. That's amazing. Philippians 2. He laid aside the glory and he took on flesh. Jesus says, Jesus says to the... Uh, The disciples, I am the way. Thomas says, show us the way. He says, I am the way. He says, I'm the way to the Father. Philip says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, have I not been with you so long, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. God has always been among his people. That blows me away. Do you get that? Do you see that? That God took on flesh and dwelt among us. And then he leaves. Matthew 28. He calls his disciples and he says, I'm with you. I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. Let me give you a, uh, a refreshing course here. Okay? Christ goes to heaven. And in Acts 2, the phenomenon of the church comes from nowhere, okay? Acts 2 happens, read it, the church is born. And not only is it born, but it thrives under persecution. Like, there there was not a church before Acts 2. And then after Acts 2, and in Acts 2, this group of people come together. And they love each other. And they share things. And Tanner, you read the scripture, right? The beginning. They, they pray, they're praying together and they're meeting together and they're going from house to house and they love each other profoundly. And they start getting killed. Nero, Nero um, accused the Christians of being cannibals and he accused them of incest. Cannibals, because they were always talking about eating the flesh and drinking the blood. Incest, because there was a profound love, and they were always calling people brother and sister. And the church grew, and it went out into all the different parts of the earth. And one of the tools that God used was a man named Saul. And Saul is commissioned by the Jewish leaders to go kill Christians. And they're running... But they're growing. They're getting fast. Paul's going on the road to Damascus, and there's a revelation. This is incredible. In um, Acts 9 49, Paul's going along with his posse, Saul's going along with his posse, and all of a sudden Jesus speaks to him. He's knocked off his horse. You remember the story? And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute who? Me. What? He says, and then he says, um, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Don't read that verse too fast. And it says that Saul is astonished. In Saul's mind, he's thinking, wait a second here. I I just killed Jim, and I ran Sarah out of her house. And Jesus, what are you talking about? I am persecuting you. Guys, do you get what church is? When church is persecuted, when church is going through whatever it's going through, it is... It is tied to the right hand of the Father through the Holy Spirit to Jesus at the right hand of God. It is one in essence. Let's look at this for a second. Luke, Dr. Luke, wrote two books. In his first book, he said, Most excellent Theophilus, I want to give you an account of Jesus Christ. And then the whole book of Luke, and you see a very orderly account of Jesus walking through the New Testament, and he's doing things, healing the sick, like we talked about before. We see him. He is among his people. And then in the next book that that Paul writes is the book of Acts, and Jesus takes on a new body. It's not like that one. It's a whole new body. Remember, he can do that. Remember Morphe? Remember that two weeks ago? Changed form. He can do whatever he wants to do. He's at the right hand of the Father, physical, glorified, resurrected. Through the Spirit, he takes on a new body. And Acts says, you see Acts 2, and the body starts walking around. And you know what it does? It does the exact same things that Jesus did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Goes out among the people, shares the gospel, loves people. You read the gospels, that's what the church, and you see Jesus walking around. Guys, that's what we should be doing We are his, get this, we're his body. That's not an illustration. That's reality. You see, church is, get this out of your mind, church is not a building. Okay? Church is not a group of people like the Boy Scouts. Okay? Yes, we are a group of people, but we're not just a group of people. Church is a body. If you are a believer, you have been called up from the dead and you are joined by the Holy Spirit to that physical, visible body. You know where that spirit is in contact with? The right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ. He says, I will send you the comforter. Do you know what incarnate means? Takes on flesh. Do you know what church is? Church is Christ incarnate. Just like Jesus was God taking on flesh, incarnate, church is Christ incarnate. It's what we see of Jesus. Do we see everything? No, we don't see his head. But we see his body in his people, led by his spirit. It's, like, it's just like a body. You go to 1 Corinthians 12... This is what you'll find. A head, a central nervous system, the Holy Spirit that controls the body and it wiggles and it moves and it serves and it loves and it makes disciples. There's all these things. It's a unit. It's not just an illustration. Ephesians 5, what does Paul talk about? Marriage. Marriage. The great mystery, he says. Why does he call marriage a great mystery? And then he jumps from marriage, man and a woman, and he says, but this is a great mystery. But I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about the church. What is he getting at? What is marriage? Two people, one. Jesus, church, one. You got it. You see... I don't know if being married to Jesus as the church is so much about being married to Jesus as much as it, what it represents. It represents oneness. And it's called a marriage. This blows my mind. I've been thinking about this for the past two weeks. I love it. Um, church is Emmanuel. It's God with us. Does that mean you're a God? Absolutely not. But God is in his people through the Holy Spirit, connected to the Son. Christ still is among his people. So what does this mean for you? What's the fruit? What's the fruit? You should have a profound love for one another. In loving one another, it is an active it is an act of loving Jesus Himself. That's why in first John he goes on and he says, If you hate your brother, you're not a Christian. You can't call yourself a Christian and hate your brother. That makes no sense at all. A fruit of a Christian is a profound love for other believers in the church. Do you see that in your life? Do you love the body of Christ more than you love just buddies? You should. That's huge. Look around. Do you love these people? (laughs) Not because of who they are, but because of who is in them. Not because they're cool. But because they are a brother or they're a sister in Jesus, you should love them. There should be a profound love. The second fruit that should be in your life, you should be committed. You should be committed to the body. We get this idea that church is going and listening to a sermon and singing a song and going home. It's not. That's what we do, we do do those things. But it's so much more. There's a function of the church that you find in the Bible. It's got to fit those criteria. You look in First Timothy and you look in Ephesians and the Corinthians. But church is being committed to the body and loving the body and serving the body and submitting to the body which is led by the Spirit and His Word which is connected to the right hand of the Father who has all authority over you. Body one and body two, as some theologians have called it. Um, I'd like to close for a minute, in a minute here, and I want to address something that I see everywhere. I see it in my heart, and I see it in you, and I see it in the world. And that is this misty idea of a dream of being an individual and doing your own thing and being independent and being autonomous and it's such a lie because you think you're independent and people they want to be their own individual and they all dress alike and they hang out and that doesn't make any sense you know what i'm saying you see independence is a mirage there's nobody independent i'd like to replace that word with independent with what it really is it's rebellious you see, what it is in my heart, and I see in my heart, James 4 says I see it, in my, James 3 says I see it in my heart, I see it in the culture, and I see it in Satan himself, is a rebellion against what Jesus has told. They're the, they're the same three desires. Read James, James, the end of James 3. The wisdom that is from up below is those three things. I see it everywhere. I see it in myself. And it's, it's not... Independent would be a nice word. Individualism a nice word. It's actually rebellion. If you think you're a Christian and you can do your own thing, like so many Christians and myself have done, you're arrogant. Why are you arrogant? If you think that Jesus is just doing something with you, you're totally wrong. Jesus is doing something with his church. He loves his church. He died for his church He's not just doing something special and he's got you over here in the corner. going to use you in a special, special way. It's not true. The second thing is it's ignorant. Nowhere in Scripture, everywhere, I am so surprised in Scripture as I read this idea of being a Christian is being part of a corporate gathering which is called the church. You read John 17. Jesus prays. Lord, let them be one as we are one. I, you and me, me and you, us and them. This idea of an individual, one, it's a mirage. Two, it's just, it's not in the Bible. It's ignorant of Scripture. Three, it's ridiculous. Think about this. Imagine if I were to cut off my hand, okay? Okay? And I laid it over here. And you guys walked in and you're like, dude, what's Andy doing in the flowers? That's not Andy. That's my hand. If, would you go up to Andy and invite him out for dinner? No. You see, that, but that's what we think, is that we can, we have gifts, by, we have gifts that the Lord has given us. And we can just kind of do our own thing. Do you know what happens to a coal when you take it away from the, the flame, it goes out very fast. That's what we do. We think that we can just kind of do our own thing. And then we wonder, why in the world am I so discouraged? Why in the world do I want to be in ministry? I want to do the Lord's work and nothing's happening. Why do I keep wrestling in sin? It's because you're over there. You need to be committed to the body of Christ. We're going to be talking about this next semester for several weeks. What is the church? Guys, are you committed, or do you just attend? It's a huge difference. A good friend of mine who's an atheist said this to me at McDonald's one morning. He said, Andy, he's like 80, and he said, Andy, you know what the difference between commitment and, um, oh, no, I forgot. Okay, do you know what the difference between being committed And being a part of is? I was like, no, what? He said, the chicken was a part of. The pig was committed. The pig. (laughs) I just felt like I just totally let the air out of the balloon right there. Are you committed? Do you love the church? Is that, or do you just attend the church? <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you know, if you guys want to continue talking about this afterwards, last two weeks, this is about all I've been thinking about. We're going to talk about the church again next week. But I'd ask you to reflect this evening as you go home what are your desires? Do you love what Christ loves? He loves His church. How much? He died for His church. Do you have those same emotions, feelings for His body? Or is it just kind of a, are you just like a Boy Scout? You just kind of come and you do your thing. And then you go home and you're the same person. And I want to pray this evening as we close that the Lord would, He would open up your heart. That He would convict you you would love if you want to really love Christ love his body you really want to show me um, that you love me serve my family it's the same way with Jesus you want to show Jesus affection love his body you get the idea let's close with a word of prayer I'm going to ask the guys to come up and we're going to sing a couple more songs and then we're going to hang out we're going to fellowship enjoy one another Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, it is rich. Again, I find it so rich. And Lord, we've just scratched the surface, Lord. But Lord, it means nothing if we don't obey it. It means nothing to us. In fact, it condemns us. Lord, may we be like the, the servants in that kingdom who loved the work of the king. And Lord, by your power, through your spirit, Lord, may you have an increase, and may you build your church and may you use us lord and Lord, would you would you straighten up our minds with these ideas of we 're just doing our own thing, Lord, Lord, help us to to be in full submission to you. We are Christians, Lord, please help us to live that way. We ask all these things to to your glory. We ask all these things, Lord, because of what you have done on the cross and through the power of that, Lord. Amen.